We don't slut shame around here. They say we are what we eat. Does that come in organic? So who are you eating? I believe they call that an ethical slut. Can I unplug your phone so I can charge my vibrator? I can't believe he couldn't find it. Fuck it. Let's roll. You're listening to Eat, Play, Sex with Dr. Cat, The place to up-level that sexy life of yours. With expert talk on sex, love, and nutrition. Hey lovers, welcome to another episode of Eat, Play, Sex. I'm your sex expert, Dr. Kat. For those of you who follow me on Instagram, you have been witness to me re-entering into the dating world and bringing with me all of the insights and explorations that I'm trying out as I'm moving forward consciously connected to myself, my internal world, what my truth is. And it's almost I almost feel like a, a field scientist sometimes <laughs> where I go out and I am looking through a new lens or a different lens that I'm trying on to see how I show up and see how the other people show up in my uh, in my environment. And so it's exciting because I get to share with you what I discover, not only about myself, but, but share with you the knowledge that I have from academia and from the oh my God, 10 plus years of self-development that I have engaged in and 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 as a human in this world and student dedicated to this work. I'm excited that you are on this trip with me. (laughs) So today I wanted to dive into this concept of the shadow side of sexual chemistry and really inspired by the types of images that we are fed in our society in these different movies from Disney princesses being saved by the prince (laughs) to movies like The Notebook where there's this insane amount of passion and chemistry and magnetism that in the real world isn't necessarily healthy, you know, but we are given these beautiful uh, storylines of, you know, red hot desire for another person, like single focus. It is you, you are special in my life. I only want you, even if this tears us apart and causes us to self-sacrifice and give up ourselves, but you are the one, you know, and, and this formulates the programs that we operate ourselves on. You know, there's a part of this work that has to, tease out what is real and what is fantasy. You know, what's a storyline for a dramatic entertainment and what is actually healthy for us. And part of that is even looking at the initial influences of our life. You know, these first primary relationships that we have with our caregivers or with our family, with our with our siblings and with our peers that have influenced how we see ourselves, how we see others, how we see the world, how we see love. And so if you've been tuning into Eat, Play, Sex for a while, you've seen some of my episodes on attachment theory or um, relationship ambiguity or unavailable, emotional unavailability. (laughs) And if you haven't tuned into those, highly recommend them. I dive in deep. (laughs) And today, exploring this concept uh, in as it pertains to the chemistry that we have with another person. Is this chemistry healthy or is this the manifestation of a trauma bond? 
dun dun dun. <laughs> and how does that relate with our attachment and traumas from early on? In our childhood, we have all experienced moments with our parents or caregivers or siblings or friends that left us activated in our nervous system where we perceive that there was some sort of threat, whether it was a threat to our safety or a threat to our connection with this person and sustaining connection with this person or any of our core basic human needs to be met. And if that became consistent over time, then it becomes hardwired into our brain and our nervous system to respond in a specific way to our environment or to others in order to protect ourselves from the loss of connection or physical harm. And this isn't in any way, shape or form blaming our primary caregivers because again, they are responding to all the messages, the programming that they were given from their parents. So this is all really intergenerational and it isn't until we do our work on ourselves that we tease out what is healthy, what is a projection, what is an unresolved trauma that we can begin to free ourselves from just defaulting to the same patterning over and over and over again, or even the same types of relationships over and over and over again. And what's interesting is that we don't even realize how we are attracted to the positive and the negative traits that our primary caregivers expressed, but we can be. And it's almost inevitable that the unresolved past and unmet needs from our childhood or traumas from our childhood end up getting played out in our romantic relationships moving forward. And that is the premise of trauma bonding. So there's some theories that suggest that our subconscious mind is trying to resolve these old wounds. And even minor traumas like I'm not enough, or maybe a parent was so busy that they weren't able to attune to us as well because their own mind was was busy and focused on something else. Or maybe our parents struggled with depression, so they physically and mentally did not have the capacity to meet us in the way that would have been more meaningful for us and our nervous system to be able to relax. You know, as a result of these experiences, we we create these uh, internal understandings of what they mean. And that oftentimes go through this lens of ourself. Like I did something wrong or I am wrong or I didn't do enough. I'm responsible of this or I'm not safe. And and so because these are our primary caregivers and we create a deep bond with them and for safety reasons, right? Here's where attachment occurs on the level of uh, this helps us to be able to get our needs met. But if we are associating these behaviors with this person and this person is somebody we're most bonded to and we love and they quote unquote love us, then we have defined love as this, whatever that means of how we interacted with them or received by them or weren't received by them. So this is where love can be defined as conditional. Love is conditional as as long as I show up in this particular way. Or I have to be this specific person or I have to give up these specific things in order to receive love. 
or I have to protect myself in order to be safe in love. So this can lead us to becoming attracted or hypersensitive to somebody who matches this definition, who matches these behaviors in a way that we are are open up to. We're used to this. This is familiar. This is quote unquote home. I'm really going to highlight that word home. You feel like home. Well, I invite you to ask that question. What was home like for you? If you find yourself telling that to a lover or a partner, inquire. What was that like for me growing up? Because they are in an essence lighting up old wounds within you. Do they allow your nervous system to calm or do they activate it into nervousness? So trauma bonding, what is this? This is where two people collude to reenact the trauma that they connect with over. And we can see this in some of the smaller attachment injuries from our childhood, all the way to codependent relationships where one person has more of a narcissistic or egocentric tendency and another person completely loses themselves. These are those experiences that maybe we have similar pain stories, or maybe we think that we are the only ones who truly get it. And maybe they fit the role of our missing lead character in our childhood wounding. And maybe we think that we'll resolve it this time with this person. This time it's going to be different. Have you ever found yourself saying those things? (laughs) What about those times where you share with the other person about your past and they, they theirs, and it's very similar to yours. And you're like, oh my God, you actually get me. And right there in that exact moment, you and them bond because you feel seen and understood by this person. And you feel like nobody else has ever been able to get this like they do. And that right there creates a shared experience. You feel closer with them. And yet, that isn't necessarily what you need for a healthy relationship. Let's dive in deeper. Now, upon the start of a dating relationship with somebody, there can be chemistry. You know, there is attraction. We want this person. We're interested. We're intrigued by this person. We're like, oh, they're cute. Oh my gosh, I really like what they're talking about. Oh, I like who they are and what they're about. There's a difference between a healthy chemistry and attraction and one that is based in a trauma bond. And oftentimes it can be more of a challenge to see the difference or designate the difference between this until we get to that point where intimacy begins to deepen and how both people are responding to that deepening. So this is that point where you're realizing, oh my God, I'm in love with this person. (laughs) You get close intimately with them and it triggers a PTSD response in your body of a time that your heart was broken before or a time that you completely lost yourself to another person or even to some of these childhood wounds that made it so that love wasn't safe or intimacy wasn't safe. You know, if this person saw actually who I was beneath what I'm presenting, then they're actually, they're not going to want me. 
They're not going to like these parts of me. And so this, this triggers this, this urge in us. And, and we're, you know, for some of us, it manifests as I've got to get away. I've got to get out of this. I've got to shut this down. And then for others of us, this is, we say, I've got to make sure that this stays. I've got to do everything that I can and show up in the way that is going to be, make sure that I'm most received. And so we take on our respective roles and maybe we drop into chasing and maybe we drop into pulling away. So how do we determine that this is happening? And I, th I would invite an inquiry into your own behavior and your own internal thoughts. You know, these are times that we find ourselves saying things like, he will change, or she's just in a lot of pain, or he needs me. I can save her. I can't live without them. She's the only one who can get me. Or if you find yourself in an obsession over their healing and their changing and you listen to podcasts and you're like, oh my God, this person should be thinking, should, should hear this message. <laughs> we, we make them the purpose of our life versus doing all these things for our own self. And maybe we read all the books or we go on the ayahuasca trips or we <laughs> go into mushroom space and, and we realize all the ways that they are hurt, wounded, and can change instead of focusing on these things for ourselves. Or maybe we become hypervigilant to their needs and what we're reading from them. We see the things that they need and we anticipate their needs. And we are alert to what they might want, sometimes to the detriment of our own selves, because we put what, what it is that's truthful for us and that we, what we want aside in order to maintain the relationship. Maybe the other person is in a mood, you know, and they go silent a little more space and it activates that inside of yourself. And so you're feeling like, oh my gosh, I need to tiptoe around this person or I have to do everything that I can to make sure that I don't trigger them leaving me. Or maybe they need space. So I'll give space without communicating this, but I'll just give it to them because I'm anticipating that that's what they need. Even though I want closeness. And over time, this can cause us, you know, whether it's resentment, because we are projecting onto this other person that they are making us, quote unquote, be a certain way, show up a certain way in order to be loved and be in this relationship, when actually it's really us that's creating this situation. Or we become so anxious in our body that... This no longer is a relationship where we can be ourself. You know, maybe we end up, perceive, uh, end up creating this definition of the relationship that it's fragile and that we can't make a mistake. We have to tiptoe around and walk on eggshells that we don't break any. Another sign and symptom that this is a trauma bond is that there is wound-based chemistry. You just want to fucking bang this person. <laughs> I 
And it's just, you feel it viscerally in your body. You just can't. It's just, you're gravitating towards each other. It's, it's obsession. It's craving. It's a heightening of the value of this other person and a diminishing of anything, any of the red flags that would suggest that this may not actually be a healthy relationship. You know, we become hyper-focused on the relationship and any resolution of discordance that happens between us, you know, any conflict that happens, we, we just become obsessive. Maybe we start reading all the books or listening to all the podcasts or whatever it is that we can in order to resolve it. And maybe we even feel at home with the pain that they cause. You know, this is, like I said earlier, this is familiar to us. And when something is familiar, there's an odd sense of safety in that. Because in familiarity, we know how to respond. We know how to navigate this. We can take on a lot of discomfort here without even realizing how it's hurting us. You know, it's that that idea of being the rock. We can sustain high levels of discomfort. (laughs) But is that necessarily good for us to be able to do? Maybe in a survival, you know, in the world where we have to survive, but not in a relationship. We want a relationship in which we can relax, in which our nervous system can calm. We want a relationship in which there's a safe haven for us to be human, to have mistakes, to, you know, figure things out in the world, to ask for comfort, to lean into comfort, to to allow for comfort of the other person. And when you are committed to remaining loyal to someone who has betrayed you, who has hurt you, even though their actions indicate very few signs of change, even though they say, I'm going to change. Sorry, I'm going through something right now. Um, Yes, let's do therapy, but they never follow up with these things. Big red flag. Maybe in this relationship, we become so desperate to be understood, to be validated or to be needed by those who even have indicated that they don't really care about you or at least not enough to show up in a way that is meaningful for you, thoughtful, respectful of you. And oh, let me tell you, (laughs) the red flag of the feeling, the need to be needed by someone. If you find yourself saying that, or if you find yourself creating that, whether through the behaviors of caretaking or being the one who can hold or save another person, there lies a question for you. Why is it that I need to create this role in order to feel of worth or to ensure that I have a role in this person's relationship? in order to feel powerful in this relationship. And sometimes we can do this even though it's destroying us or even though this person is not reciprocating that same level of care and love. Now I'm not knocking 
the word need, because as humans, we all have needs. But if we are coming from a place of that is something that I have to have in order to feel good in a relationship, then there's a question to inquire. There's something to go into. Because we can also end up creating these roles of overfunctioning or even underfunctioning <laughs> as a way to regulate our own discomfort. For instance, we say that we've asked our partner to do take out the trash. And it's a consistent thing that they don't take out the trash when we ask them. And then we shift into nagging where we keep asking, we keep asking. And then we end up just taking out the trash ourselves. While our partner, we've programmed our partner to get used to that. They're like, oh, well, if I don't do it, they'll do it anyway. So I don't really need to, I'm to do it. Or we overextend ourselves by always going over to their house to make it as easy and accommodating as possible so that it won't risk the potential that they leave us because we, quote unquote, require too much effort and are a burden. Or any times that we label ourselves as too much, any time that we do that, we are coding our emotional responses that are actually protective or valuable information. And then we look to what's wrong with us to accommodate what's wrong with the life or the situation. So sit with your experience and see what's there. See what your body is trying to reveal to you. And it may be something that is present in the relationship with you and, and, and Boo, or it can be from an unresolved trauma in your past and childhood, un, you know, unmet childhood need, um, which is everything that we're talking about here. <laughs> but ultimately, emotions, A, they're not fact, but they can definitely be helpful in us discovering what our internal world is or what may be occurring in the external world. And in a healthy relationship, a partner will be able to sit with us and hold that space. Not in a way that they end up taking on the responsibility of it or shutting you off and saying that you're crazy or too much. But there is a, again, a safe haven to have emotions Emotions that we don't blame or shame another person, but we can feel them. We can allow them to be there. And we also don't shrink ourselves to make other people feel comfortable. And this is a huge one that I see, especially more recently getting into conversations with very strong women, you know, and having these experiences of men who move on to somebody else who is you know, a re repeating pattern for them, you know, the archetype of the broken feminine. And I'm not saying that a woman is broken, but the archetype of that, where um, it creates the dynamic of, of needing somebody to save. But if we are lowering ourselves to meet the other person in a more comfortable space, and we reduce our own powerful, strong expression in order to make sure that that other person doesn't feel activated, then we may be creating our own trauma bond with this person. Again, think about that because you are creating a 
condition here. I'm going to make you feel as comfortable as possible, and as a result of it, I'm going to self-sacrifice. <laughs> then we're never actually creating a relationship that we want. We're just doing it with the intention of safety. And you lose yourself. Now, there is a way that we can continue to grow and inspire others and let others grow with us. You know, let that person meet you. Let that person do the work for themselves to meet you. We can still be compassionate. We can still, you know, give appreciation and acknowledgement to that person, you know, and, and all the ways that they're showing up powerfully. And, and that can help nurture somebody's growth, you know, without shaming them for being at their stage and in their pace of growth. But that also requires or allows us to not dim our own light. It's an art and we can, and it also helps us to allow for humanness and mistakes to be present in a relationship without, again, lowering ourselves, dimming our light, self-sacrificing. Now, breaking trauma bond entanglements can be a challenge because, again, we're bonded through these shared experiences or through especially times that are, that are full of challenges and trials and tribulations. It's almost like on the other side of those things, we feel even closer because we went through that together. And when we go through something challenging together, it's as if on the other side, we were, we survived. So then we imprint in our bodies, like what were the resources that were present to us? And if we don't have a strong sense or connection to self, then those around us who are present, I guess those around us in general, we, we associate as our resources. And whether that is to the <laughs> benefit of us for, for continuing healthy relationships or not is another question. And that's why we're here. <laughs> so why do we struggle with breaking these trauma bonds? Or why do we struggle with even acknowledging that they're there? And I think the first piece of it is anxiety because anxiety state is so closely associated with a trauma bond that this, this may feel like a craving for our ex or craving for this bond when in fact, it's more of a frantic message to stay away. You know, for some of us, due to our attachment uh, patterns with our primary caregivers, anxiety in the body, this flood of stress hormones in our body, and that buzz that occurs in our body, we mistake for love. You know, but the nervous system, you know, because there are chemicals of adrenaline and... <laughs> and endorphins, which are feel-good chemicals in our body, but that those come out with stress as well as falling in love. And so sometimes there can be a confusion there. When somebody tells me that they feel butterflies for somebody, and sometimes that, you know, again, both of those can be associated with love and with an activated nervous system. 
which again is part of the natural process of us entering into a dating environment. You know, we get nervous. How is this person going to receive me? Are they going to like me? Are they, and again, these are all the same messages that came up in our childhood, you know, in dating, we can find ourselves falling into the trap of um, being enough for this other person instead of dating from a, an intention of finding a proper fit. That is a healthier intention to go into dating because then there's a lot more mm, spaciousness for yourself and figuring out, is this person's lifestyle values and way of being in alignment with me versus me trying to make myself in alignment with this other person and vice versa. Another reason why this can be a challenge to untangle ourselves from trauma bonds is this sense of helplessness. The sense of helplessness that occurs after a breakup especially. And this is why no contact is so important shortly after you break up because it's almost like a drug. Right? This person that flooded us with all these euphoria as well as pain. <laughs> pleasure and like high amounts of pleasure and pain. And it, when we come across anything that reminds us of this former partner, our nervous system triggers as if there's a presence of getting this again, fix of this euphoria or um, a trigger of a threat that prevents us from being able to be consciously in the present moment of what's occurring here and now. So it's almost like going through that PTSD experience. And it's only with time and space and you know, processing with a with a um, professional, like a therapist or a somatic therapist or, or coach to be able to help you to fully process through what it what had transpired that helps you to be able to create the detachment that you need to come into more of your sovereign self here without having to rely on the fix of the drug otherwise and you probably have experienced this where you see one thing or you drive by their street or you walk near their neighborhood or you see you see something pop up on social media and your whole nervous system just goes and you start obsessing about them and you start thinking about all the fantastical ways that the two of you made love and and you've never been met like by somebody like this before and you've been in many lifetimes together and <laughs> And then it just spirals, right? And you feel your yourself in this fight or flight mode or freeze. And in that moment, in that moment, you are no longer in the present here, here and now, but you are living in the timeline of the trauma, the trauma bond. And what's interesting about the brain is it doesn't really des designate the difference between what happened in the past and what happened, what's happening right now. If something activates a memory of that from that stimulus, it brings up into your body as if it is happening now. <gasps> that's why it's so hard. And that's why we start daydreaming about the other person and our whole body just starts feeling yummy. We're like, uh, because we're recreating the attachment need. We're meeting the attachment need in our brain, in our fantasy world. And so that's why it's, it's detrimental to allow our minds to fantasize about this other person because it's going to keep creating a stronger bond with them, even though they're not there with you. <gasps> 
let alone it's not creating any space for anybody else to come in and, and replace that person. Yeah. Now, what I would suggest in, is the key to releasing the trauma bond and to move out of that patterning is to remind yourself carefully and with compassion and consistency that A, you are no longer in danger, that you are now safe. So that is, is reorienting yourself into here and now in your own sovereign energy. You know, it's every time your mind wanders to the fantasy, it's bringing it back to here. It's reminding you that those thoughts are the wounded part of you that wants to go into it and fix it and ruminate. <laughs> ruminate. Ah! And it's getting to know that feeling in your body, that hyper arousal or the freeze arousal that hypo arousal and work to get grounded and present again. Get back into the here and the now. So you don't need that drug fix of the other person. Being grounded, being present in the here and now also helps you to be able to find resolution. Because if you go back in time and think about the things that happened to you in that relationship from a space that is activated from your nervous system being in fight or flight mode, then you're just going to spin around and around and around. And this is called rumination. And you don't get anywhere. Two hours later, you're looking at it and you're like, fuck, I'm so exhausted. And I, I don't have any answers. <laughs> I have no clarity from where I even began. Versus if you consciously choose to go back and look at what transpired from a place of groundedness, a calm nervous system where you are relaxed, then you can create what's called a contemplation and you can get somewhere with that. You can look at the actions, the behaviors, the thought patterning, you know, what happened and you can find clarity and insight. And on the other side of that, two hours later, you're like, huh, wow. I understand a lot about myself. Okay. And you've got answers. You can go somewhere. At the end of that, you feel relieved. You might actually feel exhausted, but more in a way that you are able to let things go or have gold to help you to create healthier relationships. That's why therapy is so great. You know, you can work with a therapist who can hold the container for you to, uh, for them to be able to help you regulate so that you can discover the little nuggets of gold. What also helps us to releasing these trauma bond patternings is learning about boundaries and really upholding consequences. And highlight this one, star this one a million times. You have to be willing to hold it up or they won't believe you. You know what your bottom line is when you go into relationships. What are those things that if they are hit, then this relationship is no more. You're out. And communicating that. Because by doing this, the courage is found in the change. When we lean in and we take the risk to say no more. That is where change happens. And I get for many of us, we weren't modeled how to say no. And then for me, 
I had more of the tendency of the people pleaser and the self-sacrificing, giving up whatever I could to be able to maintain something or cut it and get the fuck out without communicating. Like it was, you know, we all start somewhere, but we get what we end up tolerating. And if we aren't firm with our no, then we're going to keep perpetuating these relationships that don't actually nurture us, that we can't be ourselves in. And that's just exhausting to think about over time. Relationships are about safety. It's about, you know, when things get messy and hard, will you be here with me? Will you listen if I have an emotional response without blaming, shaming, or rejecting me? Now, make sure that your requests are something that's rational. And I would suggest asking your partner, you know, letting them know some of your, what your vulnerabilities are, you know, that you've had trust broken in the past and that you would love support from them and being able to redevelop that skill. And at that point, having a conversation of negotiation, you know, this is my desired outcome. This is my boundary. This is how much I can give and then no more. And this is an edge that I'm willing to lean into. It's uncomfortable, but I'm willing to lean into that. And that goes on both sides. That helps us to move towards each other instead of being rigid and having only one way or allowing the fear to rule us. You know, fear, we can still be with and lean into it and still not self-betray or self-sacrifice. But there has to be an understanding and like a clear connection with our boundary at that point that it would be and the edge that we can lean into. And the work that we do to learn about our shadow, these painful parts of ourselves that represent the things that we should have gotten as kids, or to learn how to sit in the discomfort and self-regulate in other ways instead of just resorting to the same strategies that we've used. You know, identifying what these vulnerabilities are of our childhood, the story that we tell ourselves about ourselves, the strategies that we use to to protect ourselves from the threat of harm. You know, even identifying the red flags to look out for from our past, from our childhood, to look out for in these future relationships. And learning about the feeling of activation in our body through self-inquiry and exploration, and then communicating this to our partner so they know what our vulnerabilities are. And if we, and then we get to notice, we have the opportunity to notice how they hold our vulnerabilities. How do they give care and attention to those vulnerabilities too? Or do they disregard them? Or do they respond to them in the same way of our childhood? Ding, 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 light bulb, light bulb. Please be aware that when we leave trauma bonds, it will trigger feelings of emptiness. It will trigger a loss of drama and excitement in your life. It will trigger confusion in what direction to take next. And yet, 
just like our emotions, this too will inevitably turn. Soulmates are not always meant to be our partners. And please be aware of the trap <laughs> that when you leave this, this relationship, this trauma bond, sometimes there is an intense desire to inform the other person who hurt you about your healing, about what you were discovering about yourself, about how you contributed to the relationship, about this podcast that you read, or about this book that you think that they should read too. And don't do that. <laughs> We can also find ourselves becoming the foremost experts of our exes. You know, again, like I said earlier in the show, we just, we learn the theories of how it is that they showed up and what it is that they need to do for their childhood healing. And we become obsessed about the work that they're supposed to do instead of doing this for ourselves. So can you cut that cord? Can you let that other person function for themselves and discover the life lessons that they need to discover in this lifetime? And remembering that they are strong enough to figure out this world. You don't have to do the work for them. They're good. It might take them their entire lifetime to learn their lessons and... Well, it's a good thing they have their entire life life, <laughs> lifetime to learn their lessons. And then you have yours. So bring it back. Look at you, boo. And given this conversation, it doesn't mean that we won't have chemistry in healthy relationships because we will. But it may not be this crazy, obsessive chemistry again. Because the more that you develop the sovereignty with yourself, the more that you do the work to understand your, you know, how you're showing up and how you can take care of yourself and how you can allow for healthy comfort to come in, then you're no longer dependent upon um, the codependency of, or the identity, taking on the identity of this other person. Love is peaceful. Love is calm. Love is safety. Love is security. It's not chaotic, crazy, anxiety butterflies. <laughs> but we can create chemistry by getting embodied. We can get gain chemistry by following our own passions, our own interests, our own curiosities, our own sense of purpose, by creating a sense of self. That, my friends, is incredibly attractive. When we see somebody in their wholeness, oof, we want that. When we tune into what it is that we want and need, and when we're expressive about these, when we lean into the risk that it may not be agreed upon by them, because confidence is attractive, or at least it's attractive to those who are healthy for us. And we can create chemistry and, and arousal and desire when we learn about what turns us on, when we learn about our sexuality, so that we don't become dependent on you know, the fights and the arguments and the drama in order to create excitement in our body but we know what the contextual factors are that make us feel yummy and delicious and in our body and oof, sensual and sexual and all those things. So studying with me, obviously. <laughs> 
and really working on your skills of polarity. You know, polarity is chemistry between us and another person. Polarity is one person embodies a specific set of characteristics and then I embody the complementing characteristics and we are attracted through difference. There's an interest there because we want to have and embody those aspects that somebody else has that, that perhaps we don't. And that can create healthy chemistry. So things like masculine and feminine energies, dark and light, submissive and dominant, wild and still, you know, these opposites, while still in alignment with the same values, can be incredibly intoxicating and a lot healthier and more sustainable than another fucking trauma bond. And if you are looking for more juicy, good podcasts about sex, my friend Alexa Martinez is the host of That Sex Chick podcast, where she talks to you about how sex can be edgy, playful, and fulfilling beyond your wildest dreams. How fun. <laughs> Go check it out. Lovers, thank you again for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, hit subscribe and head over to eatplaysex.com to connect with me and grab my sexy guides. Because my goal here is to get you to eat, play, and sex better so you can improve your sex life, which will improve every aspect of your life. Until next time, keep it sexy.